0: Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This goes out with an email newsletter to paying subscribers. It's all about the political economy in Aotearoa with a special focus on housing unaffordability, climate change in action and poverty reduction. And there's one area where at least two of those things and probably three when you take it to the long term all come together. And that's when we have climate change increasing sea levels and increasing both the frequency and the severity of storms and droughts. Storms in particular for homes that are on floodplains and with rising sea levels are more likely to be affected by storm surges. We know from the IPCC that as our climate warms up, the sea levels are expected to rise. The extent of the warming obviously increases the extent of the rising sea levels. And of course, the extent of the warming increases the severity and frequency of the storms. So we all know the story that as the climate gets warmer and we pump more carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide into the atmosphere, it warms up, the Seas warm up, our seas and our climate get uh, often much wetter, and as we saw in January and February in the North Island, this creates severe weather events, or at least increases their frequency and severity. And we saw an example of how that could look with hurricanes hail and Gabrielle uh, this, this year. Now that affects housing if the particular house is of course uh, inundated on a floodplain or is affected by a storm surge. And this is where house values and the insurability of houses become important from a financial point of view as well as a purely physical point of view. And of course if our housing is unaffordable and it's not safe And it's a it's uh, affected by climate change. Then we have two of our three things coming together. And of course, unaffordable, unsafe housing is often a precursor or at least um, coincident to high levels of child poverty. So, what happens as our climate warms to the value of our homes, particularly as they're affected by extreme climate events and uh, storm surges. Well, this can be measured, or at least projected, because we now have an understanding of how the expected increase in climate uh, events, and in particular the warmth of our atmosphere, how that flows through into more extreme climate events, and uh, we can model things like uh, which houses will be flooded in a one-in-one-hundred-year flood, and uh, which parts of the floodplains will be inundated in a an extreme flood, and which homes in that floodplain will be inundated. So the Reserve Bank has been saying for three or four years now that it is going to spend a lot more time thinking about climate change, understanding how it's going to affect the stability of the financial system, the operations of the economy, Because it argues, as does every other central bank in the world, that climate change is not only an environmental issue or a political issue, it's a financial issue. So the Reserve Bank has been doing some work on what is the potential impact of a significant proportion of New Zealand's housing stock being affected by climate change, i.e are either affected by rising sea levels and affected by storm surges or are on floodplains and get absolutely hammered when we have more of these extreme climate events, one-in-100-year floods. So what's going to happen to the value of those properties? The potential losses for banks who have lent against those properties and therefore the potential risk to the New Zealand financial system, let alone the, uh, the pain financial pain for those people who own those properties. So the Reserve Bank has put out a paper this week which has modelled the effects of climate change on the loan books of the banks. Why should this be an issue for the Reserve Bank? Uh, Well, turns out our banks are most exposed to New Zealand property because they have become more like mortgage banks than they have become Uh, regular banks. There was a time, not that long ago, 30 or 40 years ago, when banks were mostly about making loans to businesses and to um, other entities that aren't homes. Uh, But over the years, particularly the last 20 years or so, banks have worked out that the lowest risk, highest return option for lending is to people to buy their own homes or other homes, on top of the homes they already own. And that means that the value of that property has risen. It's now worth over $1.2 trillion, New Zealand's housing market. And for those regular listeners, you may have heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again, we, I think, don't really have a regular economy which survives on its ability to produce exports and to be productive and to be uh, cohesive with a variety of different businesses and jobs where the most important thing is to be productive in your job, to earn a living from your job, and to wash your face in the global economy with exports and imports. In our economy, the main game is to increase the value of your residential land, to collect the leveraged tax-free capital gains on that, to make your you and your family wealthy in the long run by investing all or most of your money in residential land and being able to leverage against it because banks will lend against residential land and are less likely to lend against other types of assets and businesses. So eventually our political economy has set itself up to focus all of our activities and our preferences, our investment, our subsidies and our laws so that those people who own property can protect the value of it and increase the value of it tax-free by leverage through borrowing against a bank to buy land or buy more land. The houses themselves aren't actually very valuable, to be frank, and it really is the land that matters. And so we take a big interest in the value of our land because it ultimately determines how wealthy we become, how financially stable we are, and the choices of our families. And if you are a renter, you are in a different class to that of an owner now because the scale of the appreciation of land values has gone so high, and the ability to leverage has actually reduced in the last 10 years or so since the adoption of the loan-to-value ratio restrictions, apart from an extraordinary and ruinous Mm -hmm. period immediately after COVID. And they're there back there again. So it's very difficult to leverage up to extreme levels to afford this property. And uh, that has meant that a whole bunch of people who are renting are going to rent forever unless there's a much bigger fall in house prices and a fall in interest rates and an increased ability again to leverage to get into property. So it um, turns out actually our economy isn't so much about being a real economy, it's about being a housing market with bits tacked on. We've seen the growth in the various sectors that service residential land investment grow the most, including construction of homes, redevelopment of sections, selling and buying of homes with real estate, financial services, property services, and uh, a realisation politically and economically, that the most important thing any politician or business person or investor or investment advisor can do is ensure that whoever has some spare money puts it into residential land. So it becomes quite interesting when the value of that residential land could drop sharply for a reason which a lot of people haven't thought about or prepared for, or maybe understand But don't quite believe it will affect them. And that is climate change, flood risk, and rising sea levels. The Reserve Bank's analysis this week shows that upwards of 25% of Auckland's mortgages are in flood zones or affected by potential rises in sea level by up to a metre within the next 80 to 100 years. And There is a risk, according to the Reserve Bank, that as the value of these properties falls, when it becomes clear that they are less valuable because of their exposure to climate risk, that the banks potentially face some losses. And that's the important thing from a Reserve Bank point of view. Their job is to ensure that banks are stable, and that there is confidence in banks and that they are properly provisioned, i.e. they have enough capital set aside for for these sorts of events, some sort of calamity. In this case, a climate calamity. Now this research was done, this stress testing of sorts, modelling exercise, was done last year. Essentially, the Reserve Bank, for the first time, has pulled together the maps showing floodplains and the effects of climate change on sea level and put that together with the details from banks about where the mortgages are on what properties and which properties are exposed to flood and rising sea levels. Now they haven't done it completely. Uh, they've managed to have a good look at the biggest market, Auckland, and found that 25% of mortgages in Auckland are affected. And they are continuing to go through this process of trying to work it out. So later this year, they'll do a full stress test of the climate risk for banks, which will bring in the likes of Christchurch, Dunedin, Tauranga, and of course the Hawke's Bay. Now this is relevant because the numbers that we're going to talk about here are in effect just the beginning because they don't include the effects of climate change on Tauranga in particular, but also Hawke's Bay, Wellington and Christchurch, all of which actually are more at risk from rising sea levels and flood than Auckland, even though, of course, uh, we saw in February, uh, particularly in Auckland, that jan- late January early February, that um, Auckland can get uh, affected as well. And, of course, we know from the Hawke's Bay and Gisborne uh, that there is going to be a risk there as well. So the Reserve Bank paper has all the details and I've included a lot of those in the email as well. And it shows that uh, the losses for the banks um, are going to, if the worst happened, rise well over a billion dollars, at least for Auckland and other parts of the country that are affected by rising sea levels. They haven't done all the numbers yet on potential flood risk in the likes of the Hawke's Bay, where, for example, 25% of uh, mortgages are, um, are affected, and in particular, the potential losses are greater proportionally than in Auckland. This was all done last year, before her, uh, Cyclones, hail and uh, uh, Gabrielle, and so um, a lot of the Uh, Flood maps will need to be rewritten, a lot of the risks and the um, scale of what was seen previously as a 1 in 100 year event may change. It's also worth noticing that the analysis used by the Reserve Bank, in effect, hasn't updated the potential and scale of flood risk for floodplains to account for rising temperatures. Uh, and they've taken the definitions of one- and 100-year events that have been around for a long time and that haven't been updated for climate change. So they will be updated and are expected to uh, um, make the one- and 100-year events much more extreme, so there's room for that to rise. But the actual losses for banks aren't that great in proportion to their um, capital and also to the size of their Balance sheets just over 1 billion, maybe 2 billion, depending on the uh, assumptions you use. And you may think, well, that's an awful lot of money. Well, uh, for the banks who uh, currently are very well capitalized with uh, levels of capital that are anywhere from 12 to 20 percent of their assets, and with assets that are close to two to three times GDP, um, that's actually a very small number and the Reserve Bank's measures are that somewhere between um, 18 and 41 basis points of that capital would be lost. So when when we talk about that, let's say, for example, a bank has $100 billion in loans. They have $12 billion of capital, which is theirs. That's their equity. And let's say the value of those loans are written down by, hmm, let's say, $1 billion. Therefore, the equity that the bank has is written down from 12 billion to 11 billion. Now, that is um, not very comfortable for the banks, but it's certainly not a, 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 a extension level event because the bank still has $11 billion in capital, and it, it's unlikely that you'd see a, a solvency crisis or even a liquidity crisis, i.e., some sort of bank run or some sort of collapse for a bank in the event of this. However, these are still early days, and um, it's worth knowing, of course, that the bank is the last to lose in this scenario. So let's say you have a mortgage that's, say, 50% of the value of the property, the value of the property is $1 million, and there's a climate event or uh, some other event, which means that the value of the property is written down, let's say it's written down half, so it goes from $1 million to 500000 now, uh, suddenly your equity, which was 500,000, has gone from 500,000 to naught. The bank, though, uh, still has a $500,000 loan on a $500,000 asset, so it hasn't lost anything yet if it had to sell. Now, of course, um, everything changes if suddenly you can't service the loan and the bank is forced to sell. Uh, however, in this case... Um, It's assumed that people will stay in their home and continue to pay the mortgage, and therefore the bank won't lose any money. And this is where it starts to get interesting when you start to game out the scenarios here of what actually happens if we start to understand that a particular street or a suburb or a town really has land that is not very valuable because it keeps getting flooded. And you start to ask yourself the question, uh, what is this land worth? if we try to sell it on the open market. Particularly now if everyone's aware that the land keeps getting flooded. Uh, And you might say to yourself, well, that's going to take a long time to come through. That climate change is a 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 year uh, time horizon event. And um, by the time this becomes an issue, um, I'll be long gone and will have been able to sell my house and it will take a long time for everyone to realise what's in and what's out. That makes sense when you look at it from a distance. And particularly if you look at it from the point of view of a bank, which issues 20, 25-year mortgages, depending on where you are. And you could say, well, let's say the value of my house may be lower, but it doesn't matter, I still don't have to pay back the loan uh, until the end of the period, which might be in 20 years' time. And by then I might have paid off the loan. But typically in Aotearoa, people do not wait until the end of the mortgage before they pay back the mortgage. They tend to pay it off over time, or more uh, more likely, they tend to sell their house within, on average, about seven years. And when they sell the house, they are able to pay off the mortgage with the receipts from the sale, and they can move on with their lives. But, of course, what happens if you can't sell? What happens if you can't sell for the price you want? Then where are you? And what happens if when you try to sell, you can't get insurance? And this is where the key moment comes in. I describe this as the hair trigger that sets off the landmine under the value of people's property. And unlike the... the, first impression, which is that um, these climate events won't affect values until you know decades to come and it will be a slow rolling process. That's actually not how it works. Let me explain. If I'm an insurer and I'm worried that there's going to be a flood in which I have to suddenly pay to renovate a house or rebuild it completely, uh, or let's say I'm... Um, EQC and I have to pay for land repairs, then I am thinking all the time: what are my risks here of having to make a payout, and are those risks changing? And am I charging enough for those risks, or even should I be giving insurance at all on this property? And those recalculations are happening all the time. Now you may go, well, "Don't worry, uh, I've got a twenty-year mortgage. I'm not going to get kicked out for twenty years. I've got plenty of time to adjust." That's not the case with insurance. Insurance renews annually, and this is the difference. You essentially have a mismatch between banks who write 20-year contracts on mortgages and insurers who write one-year contracts on mortgages. It means that whenever the analysts inside the insurer get a fresh set of flood maps or are told by their reinsurer in Zurich or wherever, that the cost of insuring New Zealand for flood risk has significantly increased or the flood risk itself has significantly increased, then the insurer will go, right, I need to rewrite my pricing and I need to do it property by property. I need to plug in these new flood risks, these new numbers from the IPCC about severity of floods, where they happen, how high they go, what damage they cause. And uh, there's a whole industry of people in insurance who do that for a living. They try to understand the risk of things like flood and fire and theft. And they use data from previous events, and they're constantly crunching the numbers. And over time, they get to thresholds where they say it's actually not worth it to insure this particular suburb. Or if I'm going to insure it, the price is going to be X times 3 or 4 or 5. And it's that moment when you get the letter from the insurer in which the insurer says, we regret to inform you that we have repriced uh, the risks in this particular area and have decided that we can no longer offer you insurance, or that it will cost two, three, four times what it was. You may think that's impossible, that could never happen. Well, for those who have lived in Wellington and have seen what's happened to insurance premiums, particularly for any building deemed earthquake-prime over the last 10 years or so, you will know that this is a very real prospect and people's equity has been wiped out in a moment, the moment in which you receive the letter. And so my uh, point here, and reinforced by the research that's come back from the Reserve Bank and thinking about the potential risks of climate change and of revaluations, is that in many ways, just like a regular bankruptcy, where everything's fine until at the very moment it's not, as Ernest Hemingway would say, um, there is never a, a, a bankruptcy that is fast. It is very, very slow until it is very fast. The same thing happens with revaluation of land based on climate change. Climate change is a boiling frog phenomenon in which it take, seems to take a long time for anything to happen, and then it happens all at once. And uh, that's where we are with climate change. So... Uh, The Reserve Bank is essentially saying a quarter of Auckland mortgages could be affected by this, that the real costs are going to land on the homeowner, not necessarily the bank, and that they're going to continue to do these stress tests, and that we've only just begun in understanding the risks of climate on land valuations, and that this research from the Reserve Bank, which is its first substantial research to do this, and is going to be followed by much more detailed stress tests uh, later this year, which we will find out about at the end of this year or early next year, are going to continually bear down on banks and insurers to reprice their books. Now you might say, well, uh, we've all got to find somewhere to live, and um, I've heard all of this before, and uh, it's still crazy expensive to buy (laughs) coastal property. And uh, that feels true, Uh, but of course... Uh, As Hemingway said, um, you go bankrupt very slowly until you go bankrupt fast. And the point of this analysis is that insurers are repricing books. They may send out letters. And it's a question of whether you get the letter before you sell or before you know. And, of course, whether the information gets to potential buyers. Or you're confident enough that it doesn't matter that even if the value of your land craters, there'll be someone there to pick up the pieces and hand them back to you, all nice and rebuilt. So that's what we're seeing right now in parts of Auckland, where a whole bunch of people are saying that uh, climate the climate has changed, they had no idea it was going to change, and that uh, they can't live there anymore because they're constantly flooded and they would like the government to buy us out. Thank you very much question, of course, is at what value? At the value of the land uninsured or uninsurable? Probably not much. And if you're looking for tests of what happens to the value of something when it's unbankable, because, of course, you can't get a mortgage without insurance, then you only need to look at what happens to leasehold apartments that cannot be banked. They crash to nothing or close to it, particularly if they've got uh, remediation costs to come as you'd expect for some properties that have just been flooded. So there'll be a whole bunch of people who say, okay, well, this is an act of God. This climate change just came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it uh, when I bought this property two or three years ago. Or they could argue, I asked the council, and the council said I could, so I did. So it's the council's problem. And so they may argue the council should bail them out, uh, or the government should bail them out. And certainly there's an element of entitlement that people feel when they buy land, because remember it is the thing that matters the most doesn't matter what you earn doesn't matter how much you save doesn't matter whether you're brilliant or whether you're a success in your business or your work. The only thing that matters have you bought land? did you gear it up? Did the land price rise? Well, we all know it did, apart from the last six to twelve months or so, and uh, a whole bunch of people believe I deserve to keep that capital gain which was tax-free on that land and if the market suddenly decides because of climate change it's worth nothing then I deserve some sort of compensation or payout. Someone larger than me needs to rescue me because this is land and it's my birthright to make tax-free capital gains that are leveraged from land value appreciation. And if you try to change that, you're essentially doing something un-Kiwi. Hard-working Kiwi families have bought land all over this country and have made themselves financially stable and achieved good lives because those land values have risen. And anything that threatens that is Therefore, a society-wide problem that needs to be solved with a society-wide balance sheet. Well, what about the people who rent, who haven't benefited from those rises in land values? Why should they effectively pay through their taxes, income taxes and GST? And remember, of course, they're not able to benefit from the tax-free nature of land value appreciation because they don't own any land. Why should they pay high taxes and GST and income taxes, to rescue someone who should have known about climate change uh, and who took a risk assuming they'd be protected. Well, we'll find out, and the debate is obviously going on now at the moment in Auckland about whether uh, people should be bailed out in effect, their land should be bought at um, 2021 land values, or whether uh, the government has to step in as an insurer to keep the land values up, because no private insurer will do it anymore, and that is um, going to be a recurring theme in our political economy for years and decades to come. And the moment in which the value of your your family's financial net worth evaporates, will all be focused on the letter that comes through the mailbox. If you're unlucky, and it's an email. You want to make sure it doesn't go to spam. And uh, have a look at the letter. Open it up. Look through the cellophane window. See who it's from. Look at the letter and hope to God that it's a renewal at something like the current prices. If it's not, you're in trouble. And uh, just ask a few Wellington apartment owners what that feels like. And uh, we will see debates about how to deal with with that insurance letter moment for years to come. I'm Bernard Hickey. I'll keep on top of what the Reserve Bank is saying about our financial risks from climate change, and I'd direct those people who say the Reserve Bank has no business looking at the issue of climate change to this research. I'm Bernard Hickey. For the Kaka, that's my daily podcast that goes out via email and newsletter to paying subscribers. Now today, because this is of such wide public interest and the research was done uh, by a public institution that was paid for by the public, I'm going to open this up from the start and uh, hope that you all find it useful. Remember that the work I do is supported by paying subscribers and if you feel that it's useful for me to continue to do this sort of independent uh, deep dive and hopefully useful work covering housing affordability, climate change, and poverty reduction, then I'd love you to join us as a paying subscriber to the Kaka, which gives you the ability to get a lot of my stuff first, uh, podcasts, and be able to comment and um, be involved in the conversation. Uh, That's more than 3,000 people who are paying subscribers uh, have, as part of a wider community of over 13,000 who now subscribe to the Kaka. Ka kiteano.